you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hello there and welcome to episode 32 of the Retail Transformation Show. I'm your host, Oliver Banks, and I'm delighted that we're here together today. Now, the world is changing. You know that, I'm sure. And retail is changing as well, continually changing, in fact. And with that, what we're now seeing is a recognition that the fact that the work is changing as well, the jobs are changing, the skills are changing, and companies have got to recognize that to be able to I don't mean to keep banging on about this, change as well, right? (laughs) Companies have got to recognize that all of this is changing. So they need to shift and evolve to meet the new demand. And this is true for all companies, but retail in particular, largely because it's got such a huge workforce. Now, it's also worth noting that the workforce is evolving. Millennials now take up a huge percentage of the workforce, particularly in retail. And actually, we've got Generation Z, the generation younger than millennials, that are now entering into that retail workforce, particularly in stores. Now, Gen Z, let's be honest, they're much more digitally savvy than the millennials even. So if you think that millennials cause you a headache, just wait until you understand a bit more about Gen Z. They're really quite different. Now, with this changing and evolving workforce, it's a thing that often gets forgotten, in my opinion. We're always talking about transforming for the modern customer, you know, the millennial customer. But rarely do we talk about transforming for the millennial employee or staff member or team member. So now is the time to start thinking and talking about the transformation of the workforce and in particular, the workforce capability as well. Now, when it comes to developing capability, we generally all turn to the learning and development department or team. Now, they're often seen as a training team, right? Let's let's be honest. And often, their role can be reduced to organising, facilitating training courses, really with the aim of solving a problem or equipping some new skills. But that's not what they should be for. And I know my special guest today would strongly argue that L&D, learning and development, need a seat at the strategic table. And they should really be accountable for creating the workforce of the future that will deliver the strategy that the company wants to achieve. So I'm delighted to once again welcome Paul Jocelyn back onto the Retail Transformation Show. Now, Paul, you may remember, was actually one of my special guests back in episode 13. So if you've not taken a listen to that, do at some stage go back and and listen to that one in the archives. You can find it at obandco.uk slash 13. Now, Paul works with business leaders and HR teams and learning and development teams to really pull them together and help an organization to understand the role of learning and more specifically, the art of the possible when it comes to the role of learning and how that can actually enable the wider strategic vision to be delivered. He's got a ton of good stuff to say. so. I say, without further ado, let's jump on in to my conversation with Paul Jocelyn. This is part one of two. 
So make sure you subscribe and you can pick up the rest of the conversation next week. Here we go. Paul, hey, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are things going? Very good. Thanks, Ollie. Really appreciate the opportunity to come back and spend some more time with you. Absolutely. You were one of my very special guests looking at what's exciting about the year. So if you've not heard Paul on the earlier show, I think that was episode 13 of the Retail Transformation Show. So do go back and take a little listen. It was a great episode. But today, Paul, we're going deeper. We're going deeper together and exploring much more about what it takes to really learn. Many retailers look at their people as their key differentiator. The people that drive their service, the people that drive their uniqueness and their friendliness. But actually, what is it that retailers are investing in those people, in that asset, that really helps them to be a differentiator? How, does, how has it worked up to now in retail yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, Ollie. And often it's worth looking back. So historically, of course, when we think about training in retailers, very compliance focused. So naturally, very process led, very much around getting to simple, sustainable, scalable routines and ways of working. And off of that, of course, economies of scale, efficiency and a very clear measure of what we mean by productivity for retailers, but all very much underpinned by this idea of compliance. So thinking of things like training record cards, making sure everyone has, you know, have you done this particular training course? Yes, I have on this particular date. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right. Well, you're the expert on it then. Absolutely. So areas of retail, rightly so, if we think about our health and safety obligations, if we think about uh, food safety, all of the legislative challenges, rightly so, the compliance mindset drives consistency and confidence and allows retailers to meet their obligations and responsibilities to their customers, if we think about safety, of course, and to their employees. But I think what's interesting for me as I reflect on my time in retail is it's probably fair to say that we've applied that approach pretty much to everything else. And we haven't seen a separation between what are the areas that we would rightly so say there is one single-minded way that we should approach this challenge, this process, this routine, versus how do we create space and think about learning and or training in a different way to build different capabilities and a different culture for our people who are working alongside and for customers. And retail's been, you know, you, you mentioned it there yourself, very process-based in, in, its, in its nature. And I suppose training, therefore, has evolved into flowing into that same, into that same route. You know, follow the process, make sure it, it happens. If you do steps one to ten, then you get the result. Happy days. But we're in a world now where actually retailers are moving away from people. You know, we're looking at AI solutions. We're talking about robotics, you know, Amazon Go. How does this shift things for the world of L&D, learning and development in retail? Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's great examples there, Ollie, of we've clearly identified the opportunities, the processes and the routines whereby 
Technology, robotics, automation in all its guises are increasingly being deployed. So again, you know, much of the underpin of retail in terms of that productivity through an end-to-end process, productivity through the supply chain. Of course, we're seeing technology being leveraged to push that even further and faster. I guess the open question is, what does that mean for the opportunities and the areas within which we want to leverage the humanness? And if we're thinking about the areas that are inherently more human and that we would deliberately want to invest in that capability, what might that mean for our development strategies? What might that mean for the way that we'd approach and think about supporting learning and creating learning organisations? And even from that, if we extend that further still, does that give us a different point of view on productivity? And by that, I mean, if productivity historically has been about how do we scale process and drive more output for less input, if we think about the human opportunity, we could choose to consider productivity in a very different way. For example, how quickly can we scale learning? How quickly could we share and move new and different ideas and solutions across the organisation? So increasing flexibility, adaptability, being able to take on a new idea, and that's an essential skill set in itself in this world of fast-paced, changing retail. Absolutely. So I think back to the original premise, if we think about training for compliance and scaling efficiency, optimization, the idea that through some sort of magical knowledge transfer mechanism, often in a training room, <laughs> uh, to your point, followed up with a, a sort of check in the box on a, on a record card, we seem to derive confidence that people understand what's expected. They are more confident to go and execute that in their particular part of the store or of the operation. And therefore, we've got a higher proportion of our people delivering what we need them to do in the way we define they should do it at the point when we need it to be done. So by definition, you know, very much a top-down model, very much taking that single view and moving that quickly and efficiently across the organisation, which I think historically where there was more certainty, where there were longer lead times, where we could see customers and therefore our business models evolving at a much slower rate the idea of packaging solutions and courses and resources was more aligned and more appropriate because those lead times were so much more slow and evolutionary rather than revolutionary. I think the dependency there was we have that certainty, we are clear on the answer, we've identified the problem and built the solution to respond to it. Now we have a program of deploying that in a consistent way across a set group of people in this population. I think when you reflect on it in those terms and think about how relevant is that today, to me it seems very dated. To me it seems of a bygone era. And When you put it like that, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So the idea that if there's no longer that degree of certainty, if there's no longer that degree of consistency, and there's no longer that length of lead time, 
between one change and the next impact. What does that mean for our people? In the areas where we're choosing to leverage the humanness and the human opportunity, how do we create a different approach to supporting development, building confidence and growing groups of people that can be genuine differentiators for the brand? What might that mean in the thing we continue to call learning and development? Wow. So let me just rewind to a term that you used a couple of minutes ago, a learning organisation, which sounded like it's going to be a key part of this. What do you mean by a learning organisation, Paul? Well, I think that the term itself is interesting, as with so many things in this whole kind of learning and development uh, organisational change space, you see these terms and models and thinking kind of come and go. And uh, I see and hear much more of this idea of a learning organisation, which is simply the concept of have you got investment in the social structures? Have you got a mindset that is about recognising and encouraging and enabling adaptability rather than this idea of we create value by conforming to a top-down model? So we're thinking about community learning, for example, so learning together through through experience, is that right? Yeah, definitely. So again, this idea of, of social learning. So if we think about in retail and in so many other sectors, we really talked about this thing quite a lot already. We really have replicated school in the workplace. Yeah. It's been very much an education model. Here's a set of resources. Here's a set of tools. Regardless of the problem, the answer's invariably training in some guise, a course or some sort of e-learning, depending on the, the infrastructure and the technology, particularly in the store side. Slightly easier in the office, head office environment for retailers. But I think what we're seeing into this humanness challenge is more of a realisation that if and where our people are going to genuinely differentiate, how do you create the social structures? How do you start to choose to shift from people who are great at complying to those who've got the space and the expectation to bring a bit more of themselves to their work, to feel that they've got a bit more confidence and, to be fair, a bit more backing from their leadership teams to make more autonomous choices, think about solutions at closer to the customer, think about the choices that they could make at the sharp end, as it were, and really start to take responsibility in a different way, rather than simply being part of just that productivity-led, case rate-led, item throughput, the checkout-led machine, as it were. Absolutely. And we touched on earlier, the, the world is continually evolving. So how do you think it's best and how does a learning organisation, you've kind of hinted at it already, how does the learning organisation begin to evolve into this? How do we stay adaptable? How do we build a retail workforce that is on point, is up to speed? They're Obviously, they're complying with the relevant pieces, health and safety and so on. Sure. But they're flexible to say, you know, we're going to look at social media, we're going to be thinking about different ways of thinking, different ways of interacting with getting new generations of consumers coming through now. So I was reading an article about 
Generation Alpha. This is the youngsters at the moment that are coming through after Gen Z and actually how they're going to be different. They're learning about life in a world where social media has always existed. Why would you ever not have something like that? How does how does a retail workforce become adaptable in this new digital world? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And if we focus on the store operation and the challenges there, I go back to the point that if you're going to continue to invest in people, it makes sense to leverage the humanness. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I think rather than it being a zero-sum game and at some point that process that we will find an, an automated alternative and it's just a matter of time over this continuum. I think there's a deliberate choice to say, if we think about our brand and what is inherently human and we want to make that decision to invest in people with our customers, how do we accelerate that as a point of difference? So the question on learning organisation or digital transformation I think it's very easy, again, to get slightly sidetracked into technology and tools and systems, hardware, software, etc. But for me, what underpins that is back to social structures. And if we think about some of the features and some of the thinking, and again, some of the human opportunities, if we're going to be a team in the digital era, I like to add that era piece rather than, as I say, allowing it to get hooked into a particular piece of technology or a deployment. So if we think about the digital era fundamentally putting more control in the hands of the individual, if we extend that argument, again, what might that look like in the hands of our people who are closest to customers? So some of those features, some of those characteristics could include how do we empower them to generate and share ideas. Now, again, arguably, this is a long-standing challenge for retailers with ideas capture programs and rewarding ideas and things getting sent up the chain back to head office and, or, you know, again, very, oh, yes. very, very kind of typical <laughs> and we've heard it before. But if we think about the point of work and the point of challenge, how do we create more autonomy, more safety, more expectation? for teams to make good choices. Where would we choose in an operation to start to decouple the process from the person? What scenarios and contexts might that create real differentiation for our business and our brand? If we think about carving out space and expectation to reflect on what we've learned, understand what made the biggest difference, and then find ways to move it really quickly across other teams, further across that operation and beyond. If we think about this in terms of a mindset and a way of thinking, what might that look like if we give up on the idea that head office has got the answer because head office has defined the process and it knows best. So this idea of digital era thinking and moving away from a reliance on here's the next top-down fixed model and we're going to call it X or Y or Z and these big annual campaigns, if we could encourage a growth mindset and we could define what that meant realistically in our context for people in our organisation, what might we start to measure instead? What might that look like? What would we reward? And again, how could that shift our view of productivity? How could that reset that 
expectation for our people. And, and what I've seen in, in some organisations is inevitably that way of thinking and working together is already there. There are pockets of it. There are good practice and better practice. How could we identify those and think about what are the ingredients that we could scale? How do we leverage that and start to move it into other parts of our team, into other parts of the business? So we are going to take a breather right there. And the rest of this conversation will be finished off next week. So make sure that you hit subscribe. But if you can't wait that long and you want to get in touch with Paul, you can find him either on Twitter, where his handle is Paul Jocelyn, that's P-A-U-L-J-O-C-E-L-Y-N. Or you can find him on LinkedIn or by email, paul at jocelynconsultingltd.co.uk. And I'm going to put all of his contact info on the show notes page for today, which, by the way, you can find at obandco.uk slash 32. Now, I'd love to hear from you about how you view learning and development, how you think about training and what role you think they play in a wider organization, but particularly when the world is transforming and how they can support transformation. Or if you have a different view, it would also be great to hear and open up a conversation. So do feel free to get in touch. Either call me out on on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ollie underscore Banks, O-L-L-I-E underscore Banks. And it would be great to hear from you. So we're going to wrap it up right now. Remember to subscribe and I will see you in the next episode. <music>